Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about what happens when your local bureaucrats make a mistake. I've encountered the odd time when a plans examiner makes a mistake. These are relatively rare, but in retrospect, happens far more often than I care to think. We've experienced these problems from time to time, but I also keep hearing about problems like this from others. In fact, I'd go so far as to say this happens with alarming regularity. In the case of one of my consulting clients, the fire marshal stamped a set of drawings and returned them as having been approved when, in fact, the plans had never been examined at all. The property owner was under the impression they had fire marshal approval. About a month later, the building department admitted the fire marshal had indeed made a mistake and stamped the wrong drawings. These plans had never been looked at. Not only that, the fire marshal demanded a number of changes that would be required to the plans in order to comply with the building code. Upon review of the requested changes, in the opinion of the architect, the fire marshal had erred in their interpretation of the code, and the installation of a complete fire suppression system was not required for that type of building. The second story involves a problem with one of our projects currently under construction. The plumbing connection to the city was approved. However, the plans examiner, who was supposed to review the plumbing, retired in the middle of the permit approval. The plumbing drawing was given a rubber stamp, but never actually reviewed. The chosen water meter was inappropriate for the size of project and would not have given an accurate reading. Naturally, the building department was very apologetic. It was a mistake that should have never happened. But nevertheless, the problem needed to be fixed. As a result, the metering had to be redesigned with the added on-site cost of $18,000. The problem was only discovered in the field by the building inspector during the plumbing inspection. In another case, we had a plans examiner on a project who had trouble interpreting the rules for a property situated on the corner. The property was fronting on one street and had its side yard on the second street. This is normal on most corner lots. But the plans examiner was having a hard time figuring out where the front of the property was. So they applied the rules for the front of the building at both the front and the side. They argued the property essentially had two fronts and therefore had to comply with the front yard setbacks for both. Plans examiner then argued the design did not comply with the zoning, even though the zoning department had already approved the design. In yet another case, we had a building nearing completion, and the on-site building inspector argued the plans examiner who approved the design did not allow sufficient sprinkler capacity on the top floor of the building. The inspector demanded that we run a 5-inch sprinkler pipe up the exterior of the building to supply additional water pressure to the top floor. Now, for those of you who have been following the news lately, you'll know that water pipes should not be allowed to freeze. Running a sprinkler pipe up the exterior of a building means that no water would reach the top floor for about four to five months of the year. You just can't make this stuff up. In another case, the internet service provider would not provision fiber service to a property because somehow the city had failed to enter the address into the 911 database. The address existed. The post office delivered mail to the address. It was electricity coming to the property, but somehow there's a glitch in the 911 database and it's taken more than two years to get the property registered in the 911 database. In another case, the city had sold us a property with a deed restriction to build multi-unit affordable housing on the property. Then, the city changed the zoning in the area to single-family homes, and when the building application was submitted, the application was denied because it no longer complied with the zoning. But the city is the one who attached the deed restriction to the property as a condition of sale to begin with. 
when we asked how to resolve this paradoxical problem, the city suggested we go to the Zoning Board of Appeals and list the deed restriction as a hardship in order to qualify for the zoning variance. In yet another case, the Department of Health was arguing that the kitchen in a residential care home was essentially a commercial kitchen and therefore required a grease trap. The kitchen had a single kitchen sink and two dishwashers, not much different than a standard residential kitchen. All of the fittings are residential grade, and the residents eat home-cooked meals just like anyone else. The plumbing department argued that somehow this was different, and the minimum size grease trap was 500 gallons. That's right, 500 gallons for one kitchen sink. Maybe that sink could hold five gallons if you filled it right to the top. How their calculations led them to a $15,000 500-gallon grease trap is still a mystery to me. As you're undertaking your projects, expect some surprises from your local building officials. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.